Hey everyone, I'm Kevin Wallace from Redemption to the Nation's Church, and I'm grateful that we are going to have this opportunity to bring this message of hope, healing, and restoration to you and your family today. I want you to stay with me till the end. I'm going to come back and pray. Be blessed by the word of the Lord. I want you to take your Bible and open it to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15, remain standing for the reading of the word. And um, we have just come out of a youth gathering in Chattanooga that we host every year. I think it's good for you to know we have three conferences every year. Uh, we do one in October called Ruach. And uh, Ruach is uh, a gathering of church leaders and pastors from across this nation. And then uh, somewhere around Rosh Hashanah, uh, you had to know my wife. She, uh, she believes in... Uh, the Lord revealing himself in uh, in these special times, high holy days of the year. It's unbelievable how God does it. But we have a conference for women called Women of Fire. Say Women of Fire. Yeah. And then in, uh, in February every year, we have wild ones. We just had that last week. 2,200 young men and young men, young men and young ladies filled the house. And God filled the house with his fire. It was glorious, glorious. And scores of people baptized in the Holy Spirit. Lives were changed, and we're still getting reports. They're just beginning to come in of what God did. But I saw the Lord deliver many people. We saw demons cast out of teenagers who have just been overwhelmed by darkness, and God set them free. I saw boys throw throw vapes and, and, and drugs on altars and get rid of lifestyles. Come on, somebody. We need to thank God for it. We need to thank God for it. And I want you to know we're not just going to proclaim a word. We're going to see God demonstrate the power of the word. And too many times we preach a gospel that we don't know how to demonstrate. And nothing can be more frustrating to bound people than people who preach freedom but let you live in bondage. If we're going to preach freedom, we ought to lay hands on everybody bound and believe God with them that God is going to set them free. Somebody say amen. So I'm thankful for what the Lord did this weekend at Wild Ones in the lives of so many of our students. And I recognize God is building his church here and he's doing something wonderful. And we give him thanks for what's happening at the Cleveland campus. Help me thank God for our Athens campus who are joining us this morning. Come on, tell Athens good morning. Pastor Chris, Pastor Amy, Pastor Devin and Ingrid and Andrew and, and Lindy and all the family. We love each of you. May the Lord bless in Athens today. Open your Bible with me to Acts chapter 15. And uh, I want to preach a message uh, about this house and what God is doing. I, I must confess to you that the message I'm going to preach today, I preached in Chattanooga a number of years ago. And, uh, and, and I'm not accustomed to doing that. Um, but there was such a grace on that word that God gave me for our house. Uh, and as I was praying into what I would say this week, uh, coming out of the message that I preached last week on the presence of God and the Ark of the Covenant, I felt God direct me to preach about the kind of house that he is building here. And these are formational messages that help inform what we believe God is doing in Cleveland. And Pastor Richie preached this past Wednesday about what kind of church is this. And the reason we're doing that at the beginning of this year, <clears throat> and Pastor Chris has talked about the vision, 
is because we make sure everyone understands where we feel like God is taking us and what we feel like God is doing. Uh, we don't just want to have good church services. How many know God is calling us to build uh, the kingdom of God and advance the purposes of God? And can I dare say even that there's a kind of culture that God likes to dwell in. Oh, I didn't get no amens right there. But there's a certain kind of atmosphere God likes to dwell in. God won't just dwell in any old house. God wants to go to the kind of house that he likes showing up in. How many want this house to be the kind of house that honors God so that God gets to do what he wants to do? Acts chapter 15, I want to preach for, I believe this is going to be two weeks here, maybe three weeks. We'll see how long it takes. But I want to preach about um, greater dimensions, uh, the dimensions of this house. Look at someone tell them, this house has dimensions. <clears throat> And I want to talk about that today. I want you to go to Acts 15 verse 5. And the scripture says, Now the apostles and elders came together to consider the matter. <clears throat> and when there had been much dispute, Peter arose and said to them, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by the mouth of the Gentiles, the Gentiles should by our mouths, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us, the Jews, and them, the Gentiles, purifying the Gentile hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you test God putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor uh, neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Then all the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. And after they had become silent, James answered, saying, Men and brothers, listen to me. Simon has declared how God at first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After this, notice this verse. After this, I will return and rebuild the tabernacle of David, which was fallen down and rebuild its ruins. And I will set it up so that the rest of mankind, say the rest of mankind, may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does these things, known to God from eternity are all his works. Therefore I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God but that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and from things strangled from and from blood. And I want to preach on this thought about what God is building. Look there at verse 16 and 17. Uh, James quotes uh, an Old Testament passage uh, from the book of Amos. And he said, God is rebuilding the tabernacle of David and that he's doing it so that all mankind may seek the Lord. How many are thankful that Gentiles are coming into the kingdom? Amen. I want to preach on this dimensions of this house. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the word. I pray for the anointing and the unction of the Holy Spirit to preach it. 
I pray in Jesus' name that you would grant this house a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus that we may hear what you have to say and declare it, Lord, help me to declare it with accuracy, with unction, in the power of the Holy Spirit and may lives be transformed and this house be moved from glory to glory by the preaching of the word. In the name of Jesus, I pray. And the church said, Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Uh, by the time we get to the book of Acts chapter 15, uh, there is a substantial move of God happening through the early church. In every city that the church has been planted, there has been this massive and mighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit that has brought transformation uh, to cities. It's, it's brought transformation to lives by the time we get to the book of Acts chapter 15. Uh, entire people groups have been affected by the gospel of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit that is breaking out in these cities. It's interesting to me that without uh, a social media footprint, without a blue check mark, without a satellite, without any kind of the accoutrements that we all use and lean on today to help us do our evangelism, without any of that, men who had a sheer hunger for God and a sheer passion for the things of God had been used by God. Men who had been with Jesus were being used by God in the known world to bring about an effect that could only happen by the power of the gospel. And when we get to the book of Acts chapter 15, something substantial is happening in the earth. And uh, heretofore, before this, what we saw was a trickle here of a few Gentiles getting saved. But by and large, the work of the gospel had been happening among the Jewish people who were hearing the gospel and turning from um, their Jewish lifestyle and turning to Jesus and becoming saved and born again citizens of the kingdom of God. But because the gospel of Jesus Christ is so powerful and real, it doesn't stop with the Jewish people. How many are thankful today that the gospel was something that was intended to touch and to rescue and save the whole world? And when we get to Acts chapter 15, something powerful is happening in the earth and they don't know what is going on. By the time we get to Acts chapter 15, uh, Gentiles are getting healed. Gentiles are getting saved. Gentiles are getting baptized in the Holy Spirit. And this is all new to the people of God because heretofore they had not seen Gentiles come into the kingdom. When God starts saving people that don't look like you and don't act like you and don't smell like you and don't dress like you, you will immediately begin to see religious people start acting like they are the self-appointed people who get to declare what is God and what is not God. Uh, we've been dealing with this for the last few weeks as revival has broken out in Asbury and at Lee and other university campuses and we've heard the, the critics who said uh, that's not God because if it were God it would look like this. And that's not God because if it were God, we would look like this. And then you get people who talk about the church and they say, well, that church ain't really of God because if it was, those kind of people would not be going to their church. I want to preach to those people in this room today who think they are the self-appointed Pharisees who have the unmitigated gall and authority to deem what is God and what is not God. Let me help everyone in this room understand something today. You and 
and I are not God. This is not his, this is not my house. This is not your house. We didn't call and set up a committee for a blueprint how to build this house. If I'm going to build a church, Jesus said, let me build the kind of church I want to have. And the blueprint for the church that God is trying to build is not in the mind of a man. It's in the Holy Ghost. Somebody say amen. And so what we see happening in this text is that God is moving among the Gentiles and the Gentiles are coming into the kingdom. And now everybody wants to have a meeting to talk about the crazy polytheistic Gentiles that are starting to come to church. I found out that if you go to a church and everybody in your church looks like you and everybody in your church dresses like you, if you are in a group and you are the smartest one in your group and everyone in your group is the same, you need a new group. You need to open up your heart and recognize God is saving people in every time zone. God is saving people on every continent. God is saving people in every city, every village, every hamlet, every state, every province, every region, every place that you can find humanity. Jesus said, I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly. We don't need religious red tape that keeps people out of the kingdom. We need to tear the red tape off, point to the man, Lord, King Jesus, and tell people who are lost and dying in their sin, if you want to find new life, you can't find it by licking on a crystal. You can't find it by running after another new age guru. You can't find eternal life by rubbing on somebody's lamp. The only way to find eternal life is to come and confess your sins to the man who hung on the tree so that you could be washed from every wrong thing you've ever done. He'll write your name down in the Lamb book of life and give you life abundantly. Somebody clap and give God praise in this church. That's what's happening in Acts 15. The Gentiles are now coming into the same places where the Jewish people are. And all the clean people all the clean people are starting to say uh, we get nervous with these unclean Gentiles. So they have a meeting which is what most religious people do. They have a meeting about what's happening and they start talking about it and, and there's a sect of the Pharisees, Lord, if I had time. There's a sect of the Pharisees who are disagreeing with the Gentiles coming into the church and not going through circumcision. You can't be saved. You can't be saved, Mr. Gentile. Well, why not, Mr. Pharisee? Because you didn't get saved like I got saved. Oh. What arrogance and preposterous uh, pride to see people who write folk off because they do not have a revelation of the grace and mercy of God. And so they have this meeting about all these Gentiles coming in and everybody wants to know what is happening. How are these Gentiles getting saved? What is God doing? And so look at the text. The Bible says, let me teach here. The Bible says that the elders and the apostles came together to talk about the situation. Say elders. Come on, talk to me, church. Say elders and apostles. Now, I know that there are people in this room who do not believe in apostolic grace. There are people who are watching me right now online that do not believe that apostolic grace still rests in the body. They believe that when the Bible was done and when the Bible ended, there are no more apostles. And if you believe that, then you also don't believe there are prophets. 
And if you believe that, you don't believe that there are pastors and teachers and evangelists because the apostolic, evangelistic, pastoral, prophetic, and even didactic teaching grace is still resting on the body of Christ. If we don't have apostolic grace resting on the church, then what you got is a bunch of Jezebels running the show and people are just coming to a social gathering. I need some help in the church. I'm not telling you that I'm calling myself an apostle. I'm telling you there's an apostolic grace resting on our house because God doesn't want us to take orders from the culture. We are called to enforce the kingdom of God in a culture that doesn't know God and you can't do that without apostolic grace. The Bible said that apostles and elders say and elders. Apostles and elders came together to talk about this. This is interesting because it's the first time that apostles and elders get together to discuss what God is doing in the church. And when they began to talk about what's happening, it's interesting to me, if you read the text, that the elders, although they were in the discussion, they did not get to determine what God was doing read the text. Why do I say that to you? Because sometimes church what, what is it? First of all, what does it mean an elder? An elder in this context was someone who had experience and someone who had been in the church and someone who had some wisdom and someone who had some testimony and some tread, if I can say that. They had some mileage on their spiritual tires. They had been walking with Jesus and knew the Lord and so they were elders in the church. Those elders with a history met with apostolic leaders um, who, who God was using in apostolic ways to discuss what was happening. I'm not making this up. This is in your Bible. It is interesting to me that when they had to decide what God was doing, it wasn't the elders who got to declare what God was doing. Why? Because oftentimes we want something to be declared that is happening based on history. Listen, I, I, I would be considered by some, and there are other people in this church. How many have been walking with the Lord for 15, 20, 30 years? Come on, lift your hand. Lift your hand. You got some mileage on your spiritual tire. Watch this. All of us who lifted our hand have history. How many got some, come on, talk to me this morning. Y'all look Presbyterian today. How many got some history with God? You, you got some testimony with God. You've seen God do some things. How many have got some, some history with God, right? Sometimes though, God will do something in the church that we've never seen him do before. And if we allow elders who only have a history to articulate what God is doing, we can ask, actually miss the moment and what God is doing because sometimes God reserves the right to do something that he's never done before. Sometimes God will break in on a city in a way he's never broken in before. And if the only voice the church is hearing is a voice of history, you will oftentimes find people trying to recreate moments. They'll try to recreate a moment that they experienced 20 years ago because the only point of reference they have for what God is doing now is something that he did back then. But I came to preach to Cleveland today that God is not just doing an old thing, he's doing an old new thing. Yes, the recipe is the same, but how many know God reserves the right to do it in a way he's never done it before? is why we need apostolic grace because God will touch the heart of people with apostolic grace to give a fresh blueprint famous last words 
of a dying church. We've never done it this way before. We see these people jumping on stage. I feel sometimes, I feel people going, why they move so much? What kind of song is that? That ain't in no songbook. I'm coming for you today. I'm coming for you. I'm smiling while I'm coming, but I'm cutting it all off today. Hallelujah. I came to tell you right now, we didn't show up just to do it the same way, the same old way that we've always done it. We came to say, God, you're doing a new thing. Our sons and daughters don't need a regurgitated testimony, and they don't need a rehashed, manufactured, man-made thing. What they're hungry for is a river that is not dead. It's not a pond that's dead. It's a river that's flowing, and I say it's time for you to put your oh God take off the spirit of heaviness put on the garment of praise and jump in the river of what God is doing in our generation I don't care if you've ever seen it like this or not if it's all about Jesus and lives are being turned around and the word is being preached and the Holy Ghost is moving you better make your mind up I'm not gonna miss what God is doing Touch your neighbor, tell your neighbor, I'm not going to miss it. Oh, I may not know how to dance like they dance. I don't know why they clap like they clap. I don't know why they got lights and smoke machines. But me and my house are not going to miss the move of God. So we get here to Acts 15. Calm down. We get here to Acts 15. And the elders and apostles meet, leaders meet, and they want to know what's happening. How are all these Gentiles coming in? What is going on here? And Peter begins to testify about how God used him. You know if God's working through Peter, he's working everywhere. You know Peter, the one who said... When the Lord told him to rise and eat all of the creatures in the blanket that came down from heaven. Uh -huh. Brother Peter, the one who said in Acts chapter 2, this is that, which was spoken by the prophet Joel, that in the last day I'll pour my spirit on all flesh, your sons and daughters will prophesy. This Peter who said God would pour his spirit out on all flesh, he prophesied in Acts 2. God would pour his spirit out on all flesh. And in Acts chapter 12, he's on a roof and some flesh comes down in a blanket that don't look like his flesh. And he says, I'm not going to participate with that. And, yet, and the voice from heaven said, eat. And Peter said, I will not. I don't touch anything unclean. And in the Wallace Unauthorized Translation, the voice came back to him and said, how dare you call unclean what I have cleansed? I feel like preaching. Now, what you've got to understand, family, thank you, Holy Ghost, for your anointing. What you've got to understand that is in Acts chapter 2, he prophesied God would pour his spirit out on all flesh. In Acts chapter 12, he found some flesh not like him, and he thought that God wouldn't use that kind of flesh. Isn't it funny how some prophets prophesy, but their prejudice keeps them from seeing their prophecy come to pass? Y'all don't want me to preach on this right here. But we got preachers who preach the Bible, but when it comes time for God to bless folk that don't look like them, 
them. They don't dress like them. They're not from the same culture. They're not the same race. Oh, I'm getting ready to preach in here. Oh, yeah, God can bless everybody but you. God can bless everybody but you. To hell with the spirit of racism. To hell with the spirit of division. God didn't call us to build a church where we all look the same. God called us to love one another. God called us to honor the God in each other. And Cleveland doesn't need another oh homogenous church. What Cleveland needs is a kingdom place where people from every nation, every tribe, every tongue can come to and worship the king but Peter says I testify that God is moving among the Gentiles then Paul and Barnabas stand up and say I testify that God is moving among the Gentiles and so everybody's saying okay all this testimony is coming in all these people in the Gentile world are coming into the kingdom they're getting baptized in the Holy Spirit what is this and in my mind's eye, I can see James the Lesser. That's who this is. James the Lesser, who in this season is an older man. He's walked with the Lord. He's seen him. He knows him. And he walks to the pulpit. We call this the Jerusalem Council. Acts chapter 15 in, in, in scholarship and, in, and among the scholars and the theologians, we call this the Jerusalem Council. And this old seasoned man, this apostle of the Lord walks to the pulpit and he says, I know what's happening. Y'all all trying to figure out what's going on. All the Gentiles are getting saved. All these crazy polytheistic Gentiles are getting baptized in the Holy Ghost. And everybody wants to know what's happening. How is this happening? I don't know if this happened. We didn't vote on this. We didn't get a word. We didn't get a say. They don't look like us. Oh, shut up. James walks to the pulpit. And he says, I know what's happening. This is the fulfillment of a prophetic word God is starting to rebuild his favorite kind of house can I preach it like I feel it today God could have used any Old Testament paradigm to build a new house in the New Testament. If I were God, uh, uh, there are some other places that I might have tried to rebuild when it came to rebuilding a tabernacle or a temple in the New Testament. You could start with Moses' tabernacle. It was magnificent for, for such an antiquated, uh, nomadic people out in the wilderness. And yet it was with a blueprint of precision that God gave Moses the download of the tabernacle in the wilderness and it was majestic it was it was it had furniture covered in gold and it had walls and it had dimensions it had it had say dimensions it had dimensions it was 90 feet long and and 30 feet wide. and and it had dimensions and it had an outer court and it had an inner court and it had a holy place and it had furniture in every court and it had something going on in every court that was prophetic about what God would do but God doesn't say in Acts 15 that he is rebuilding the tabernacle of Moses why would God not rebuild the tabernacle of Moses? I'll tell you why. Because Moses' tabernacle was centered around uh, the slaying of innocent 
animals. Y'all don't want to preach about this here, but sometimes worship is messy, and sometimes and sometimes life, uh, when you see blood flowing, which is what you see at Moses' tabernacle, you see the death required for the for the forgiveness of the sins of the people. Why would God not rebuild the tabernacle of Moses? I'm going to tell you why. Because the sacrificial system had come to an end. Why did the sacrificial system come to an end? For that, you got to go back to John chapter 2, where a man named John the Baptist come walking out of a wilderness, walked up to a baptism service going on in the Jordan River. The whole world was wondering what in this world is going on with John. And a man from Galilee, I see his hair flopping and I see the sandals on his feet as he walks up to the Jordan River. And John the Baptist, who is baptizing converts, stops the baptism service and he says, when Jesus walks up, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin. I feel like preaching in here of the whole world. Why don't we need Moses' tabernacle? Because we're not looking for another lamb. I don't have to show up today and cut a, another throat of another lamb. We don't have a blood trough running through the altar because my lamb has already come. The lamb has already been slain. The lamb already been crucified but I'm thankful to report to you that three days later up from the grave he arose. Touch somebody tell them I've been saved by the lamb. My hope for America is not in a donkey. My hope for America is not in an elephant. My hope for America is a lamb. The lamb of God who was slain from the foundation of the world. I wish I could find some people who love him to give him praise. Thank God for the lamb. It's not Moses' tabernacle that God loves to rebuild. It's not even Solomon's temple in all of its majesty. Solomon's temple, the height and the pinnacle of that temple was 210 feet high. It was majestic. Nothing like it. When the queen of Sheba came and saw it, it took her breath away. Nothing like the ornate nature of this Solomon's temple. Nothing like it's, I, I was recently in Jerusalem and they, they still have that wall, the color, the wailing wall. It was part of that temple. To see the stones of that temple sit on each other and the, and the work and all of the toil that was necessary to build such a majestic place. And yet God does not decide in the new covenant that I want to rebuild such a majestic place. And it's a word to us to remind us that when God goes and builds a church, he's not trying to build the, 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 I think we ought to do things in excellence. Don't misunderstand what I'm about to say. But some people want their building to be the main attraction. Well, if we can build it big enough, put enough gold in it, make it wonderful enough, if we can make it costly and expensive, and if it, we can make it bougie, then we can get people to come. Isn't it a shame that we spend millions on buildings? People come to our million dollar buildings to look at our million dollar building, but if you ain't got no Holy Ghost in the house, they leave as messed up as they were when they came in the door because the building is not what gave me life. It's the Holy Ghost inside the people. And the Bible says that Moses... Tabernacle was not the one. Solomon's temple was not the one. It was the tabernacle of David, which is embarrassing. 
I said embarrassing. Why is it embarrassing, Wallace? Because it's four sticks and a blanket on top. When God starts building something in the new covenant, he is not building Moses' tabernacle again. He is not building Solomon's temple again. He is building the tent of David. And when James the lesser comes to the pulpit of the Jerusalem council and says, this is what God is doing. How many in your Bible you can see that this passage uh, in Acts chapter 15 where he begins to read about David's temple in your Bible how many of you see it indented or in italics lift your hand if you got a Bible some of y'all don't even have a Bible if you got a Bible and, and that portion is indented or in italics lift your hand I want people to see I'm not making this up what is that about why does, the, why does the publisher of the Bible indent or italicize this particular portion of scripture that James is referencing? I'll tell you why. It is because James is quoting something from the Old Testament. Whenever you see words in italics or indented in your Bible in the New Testament, it is an Old Testament quotation being used in the New when James walks to the pulpit and everybody wants to know what's going on, James says, I know what's going on. And then he begins to speak about a fulfillment of a prophetic word given 700 years earlier. Where is that prophetic word? I'm glad you asked. It's in Amos chapter 9. Amos said, I'm not a prophet or a son of a prophet. I'm a sheep man. I, I deal with my daddy's sheep. But when he was out there dealing with the sheep in the field, God began to give him prophetic words. And one of the prophetic words God gave Amos in the old covenant was that there would come a day when God would rebuild the torn down temple and tabernacle and tent of David. God could have raised up any tent and tabernacle and temple he wanted, but the tabernacle he was getting ready and the tent he was getting ready to rebuild was David's and James said that's what's being rebuilt and I want to know why anybody else want to know why God would choose David's tent when it is the, it is absolutely the most pitiful structure in the Old Testament four sticks like these poles right here uh oh one two three four like these poles right here and a, and a blanket on top. And that was the tent of David. How embarrassing. Why would God choose David's tent? I'm glad you asked. Number one. This is where I'm going to get. That, that was all an introduction. There are several reasons why. And I'm going to talk about them today and over the next two weeks. There are several reasons why God is rebuilding David's tabernacle. And it's why we at Redemption to the Nations have decided this is the kind of church we believe God's called us to lead. I don't want to build Moses' tabernacle because I don't need a lamb. I found the lamb. I don't even want to build Solomon's temple because it's not about the grandioseness of the building. I want to build David's tabernacle. Why? Because this is the place where the Gentiles can find God. If you create religious boundaries, you know why I like David's tabernacle? Let me preach here. Because David's tent doesn't have courts. 
Have you ever been to a church with a court system? Some of y'all, I can't talk about it. Wink at me if I'm telling the truth. You know I'm telling the truth. Have you ever, you can't, you, we don't want nobody to get in trouble. We don't want you to act like you, you're mad about it. But how many have ever been to a church, you walk in and you know there's an outer court? They treat you differently if you don't look like them. Oh, I know I'm talking real in here now. They treat you differently if you don't have a car to drive in. You Ubered to church or you even got on the church bus. I was telling somebody yesterday, for three years of my life, I had to ride a church bus to the Baptist church. And I, and I, because my family had been hurting the church split. And, and I was 14, 15, 16 years old. And I said, I'm not going to sit home on Sunday. I'm going to walk down to the end of my block and I'm going to catch a Baptist bus to church. A Baptist bus. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to be in the house of God. It was the only people that would pick me up some of y'all some of y'all came from some places where people treat you differently if you don't look like them beware you better help me preach this right here beware when this house starts creating court systems where if you don't dress like us and have on the bling and the bougie and you don't come in looking like us you can't be a part of the family I want to make an announcement on this Sunday morning that this house is not just for people that look like me or look like you or look like your neighbor or come from the neighborhood I came from or the one you came from Y'all better get the word out that this house is for everybody. It's for every Gentile. It's for every Jew. It's for every kindred, nation, tribe, and tongue. Ah, God is building something in this hour that is not necessarily pleasing to the church culture. But I made up my mind if I tick the Pharisees off, I'm probably doing all right with King Jesus. God is building a place for all people. Well, I don't know, you know. I don't know. We're going to see if they're saved. No, we're going to see if you're saved. I'm not sure about them, and we're not sure about you. We, we're going to be glad to see you in heaven one day. I'm telling you, there's some people who think they're going to be sitting next to Jesus. Unless they get their mess right, they're going to hell. I don't care how many Bibles they have and how many scriptures they quote. If you don't love people, you've never met the master. If you don't love humanity, you've never been to Calvary. God will take that hate, that racism, that division. He'll take all that mess out of you and give you a love. I better quit because I got to get to Chattanooga but I feel like God is about to break something over this city. God is about to raise up a people who love folk from every walk of life. This is the kingdom of God. The first Sunday I started pastoring this church in Ottawa, I was 21 years old. You wouldn't have come to my church then. You would have looked at me and said, he looks like a teenager. I didn't even have a whisker. <laughs> Devin looked like she was 12. And we're up here, she's nine months pregnant. And, uh, and I'm past, I never pastored a church in my life. On the first Sunday, I preached this. That God is going to save millionaires and people on welfare. And they're going to sit beside each other on the, on the pew on Sunday. God's going to save old and young and they're going to sit beside each other on Sunday. God's going to save red, yellow, black, and white. I'm coming for you. And they're going to sit beside each other on Sunday. You're not going to be able to look down the row and say, oh, that's a white church. Oh, that's a caramel church. Oh, that's a chocolate church. No, baby, we are Sunday church. We put, we put all of it on there. Some chocolate, some caramel, some whipped cream, some vanilla, some sprinkles, even some fruit. Come on in here, somebody. This is not my favorite kind of church. This is 
is not your favorite kind of church. I feel the Holy Ghost on me right now. He's building his favorite kind of church. Touch your neighbor. Tell him Jesus is building the church. And it's a place for the Gentiles to come. Not just the people that got their ducks in a row. Because most people who think they got their ducks in a row are crazy as the people who don't think they got their ducks in a row. He said, I'm building David's tabernacle so that all the Gentiles can come. I'm going to tell you this. This house will love everybody. This house will love everybody. It will love people that look like us and people that don't look like us. Well, who is us? Us. As different as this house and diverse as this house already is, whoever you are, love people like you and love people not like you. I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to get some emails over this, but I'm going to tell you, and I don't read them, it don't matter to me. This is a place where people who don't know God can come and find him. The invitation of the gospel is come as you are. The promise of the gospel is that you will not stay as you are. Which means this. The LGBTQ community can come to our church. I'm never going to agree with unscriptural lifestyles. I'm going to preach holiness because the Bible calls me as a shepherd to tell the truth in love. But I want to say this to you. But I want to say this to you. If they don't get changed here, where they're going to get transformation. And most people who are mad about that are not living in homosexual sin. They're living in heterosexual sin. And the last time I checked, heterosexual and homosexual sin is still sin. And y'all not helping me? And I got some Pharisees getting hot right now. But if Jesus were pastoring a church, he would love people in. And he would teach them the truth in love until transformation happened in their life. All the Gentiles can come. We haven't arrived yet. Help me, Julian, I'm landing. We haven't arrived yet. None of us. You know how I know you hadn't arrived? Because you're still here. If you were done, you'd be in heaven. But you're here. And I want you to hear me say, church has become the enemy in many ways of the kingdom of God. Oh, my Lord, I said a word right there. Church has become the enemy of the kingdom of God. How so, Pastor? Because we're building buildings like we like them instead of tents like God likes. David's tabernacle did not have courts. Gentiles could get as close to the Ark of the Covenant that rested under that tabernacle. All it was was four sticks and a, and a blanket on top. And the Ark of the Covenant rested underneath it. And Gentiles could come and get close to it, as close as the Jews. 
There was no Gentile court at David's tent. Everybody who wanted to get close could get close. I need to tell you this. Uh, play something happy. I need to tell you this. God is delivering people in the church. I said in the church from spirits that have hindered his kingdom from being advanced. I want to be a kingdom man. Oh, I'm a church man. I'm called to lead a church. But more than called to lead a church, we're called to demonstrate a greater kingdom. I don't want people to get a bad taste of the kingdom because of the kind of church I'm trying to build that doesn't reflect the kingdom. How many of y'all live in Cleveland? Lift your hand or the surrounding area. Lift your hand. Most all of you. This is amazing. There's probably 1,100 people here today. We ought to be able to change a city. We, we ought to. You feel that? We ought to be able to change... I like you, dude. I like you. You helped me all day long. I'm going to let you sit closer next Sunday. Hallelujah. We, we ought to be able to change a city. Well, Pastor Kevin, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't preach and I don't sing. No, but you're an optometrist, a teacher, a principal, a police officer. Kingdom influence is not about a title you catch in a church. Kingdom influence is about potency in your spirit that you, you're able to demonstrate the kingdom everywhere you go. And when they taste the kingdom of God in you and me, do they want more of the kingdom? I'm going to preach this next week too, so if you don't like it, you might as well go play golf. Or boat or whatever you do. I'm telling you right now, God's tearing stuff up to build stuff again like he wants it. Somebody praise him and stand with me and give him thanks right now. Come on. If you're thankful to be a part of the kingdom of God and if you're thankful that you're being a, you're a part of what he's rebuilding in this day and hour. Come on. This, this, he said I'm rebuilding the tent of David and that's still what he's doing. It has not changed. Throw your hands up with me and surrender your life to God right now. Come on. God build the kind of church that you get the glory for. Build the kind of place that honors your great name. Build the kind of place that brings people in from every nation, kindred, tribe, and tongue. Tear down strongholds. Deliver people in this room right now from spirits that have hindered the advancing of the kingdom. God, let conviction rest on us Christians who've got some poison and malice and hate in our heart. We, we've got some preconceived notions and some stuff we do that has hindered people from wanting to know more about you. And I repent of it, God. Build your church. Build your church. Build it from the ground up. It's your church. Build your church. Come on, throw your hands up. Build it from the ground. Somebody help me sing that. Build your church. Pastor Chris and Crystal are going to come and we're going to pray. Build it from the ground. Just tell them, build your church. Friend, I believe God is a miracle-working God, and the greatest miracle that God could ever work in your life is the gift of salvation. 
And I believe today somebody's watching me who says, Pastor Kevin, would you pray for me? I want to give my life to God. I want to serve the Lord. I want Jesus to save me. Let's pray this prayer together today. Mean it in your heart. Say, dear God, I repent of my sins. I turn to you today, Lord Jesus, believing that you're the Son of God and that you died for my sins. Forgive me, Lord Jesus. Come into my heart and be the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Listen, friend, if you prayed that prayer, I want you to go to kevinwallace.tv and I just want you to drop us a prayer request and let us know that you gave your heart to Christ. Our team wanna pray for you. We wanna make sure that you're in a good, loving, Bible-believing church wherever you're from and that you continue to grow in your walk with Jesus Christ. The best days of your life are still ahead of you and we're praying for you today. God bless, I look forward to seeing you next week right here.